What beauty contest has contestants with curves, long eyelashes, and four feet? <laughs> okay. <laughs> and why do sea otters hold hands while they sleep? <laughs> <laughs> Answers to those and other burning questions. Burning, burning. Coming up in this episode of The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. Welcome to the off-ramp, a chance to slow down, steer clear of crazy, and take a side road to sanity to get some perspective. Well, new year here, Marcia, new year. So here's my question as a new perspective on the new year. Uh-huh. What beauty contest has contestants with curves, long eyelashes, and four feet? This well, is a multi-million dollar contest going on in a certain be, part of the world. It's got to be dogs. No, it's not dogs. Well, they don't necessarily have... Who has long eyelashes? Ostriches have long eyelashes. They do, but... Okay, hold on. Another hold animal on. that has long oh, eyelashes. Really? In Por- cartoons and things. Uh, I don't... Four legs. Four legs. Shapely. <laughs> Tell me. Camels. Really? Yes, there are, there are camel beauty contests no. in the Middle East. They are huge. They go from week-long events to 40-day events, and they're meant to celebrate the traditions of Bedouin tribes. But because Bedouins aren't doing much these days in the desert, they, and many have become incredibly rich, they conduct huge contests to see who's got the most beautiful camels. And at one such contest, a two-hour drive southwest of your favorite city, Abu Dhabi, <laughs> 24,000 camels from all over the Middle East oh, compete. Oh, my God. It's a, it's a camel show. It's, it's like, amazing. Oh Vast sums of money change hands as camels are sold. But guess what? Scandal has entered the picture, Marcia. Just in December, organizers of a popular camel beauty contest in Saudi Arabia had to disqualify 43 contestants after cracking down on Botox injections and other forms of (laughs) tampering by breeders. Can you believe that? Oh, man. Now listen to this. This is the 40-day King Abu Lazi Camel Festival. Abu Lazi. 60 miles northeast of Riyadh, starting at the beginning of December. Breeders there compete for more than $66 million in prize money. That's why there's tampering, so the stakes are high. Well, unscrupulous breeders have injected Botox, silicon, and other fillers and inflating body parts using rubber bands, all kinds of things to enhance the appearance of their camels. Sounds like Miss America. Oh, it's terrible. (laughs) Oh, my God. This year, organizers dealt with 147 cases of tampering. No kidding. The largest number since the festival began. Now, that's that's truly amazing. That's just awful, isn't it? It is. Okay. Let's go on to something more fun, Bob. (laughs) Why do sea otters... Hold hands when they sleep. <laughs> I didn't even know they did. Well, of course. I didn't know they had hands. It's common knowledge, Bob. I thought they had paws. <laughs> See, otters. Well, they hold otters? paws. I don't know. They, they hold paws. Do cl- they pause and hold paws? Pause while they and s- hold claws. While they sleep. Yes. I do not what? know why. Well, think about it. Why would you, if you're a sea otter... They do it to stay together while they're sleeping so they don't drift apart. That's exactly right. You're kidding. No, that's exactly right. (laughs) Good for you. To prevent themselves from floating away in the swirling sea while they sleep, sea otters often entangle themselves in forests or kelp 
or giant seaweed to provide anchorage. And then they hold hands. That's why they hold hands, hmm. that in order to prevent themselves from drifting away from the group. So wow. it, it's a double prevention. They hold hands and encase themselves in seaweed and stuff so they don't drift off to be eaten by predators or to get uh, off to sea. Jeez, that sounds like a, a really harrowing existence. It does. Have. It does sound a little tense. But okay, I have another sea otter thing. You're probably oh, waiting well, for another one. You went to it down a, a Wikipedia rat hole I with did. sea otters. And this is even, uh, they, they keep things tidy, Bob, sea okay. otters. Okay, all right. <laughs> this is so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> You're overcome, Marcia. <laughs> yes, I am. Humans have developed special rooms and solitary rituals for, shall we say, pooping. <laughs> oh, well, why don't we just say doing their business? In doing a, their business. In well, a bathroom it, sense. It could be business one or business two. This yes. is business two. Okay. Okay. But for some animals, doing their business, number two, is a social event. It's... <laughs> It's a social event for sea otters. Yes, it is. They are you strange creatures, aren't they? Aren't, aren't they, though? Instead of water closets, uh, I, this is more of a, I, I could ask you a question out of this, but it's so weird, I, I don't even want to ask. North American river otters like to uh, do their business in piles near the water called, wait for it, latrines. <laughs> <laughs> These are their social hubs, like going to the drive-in or the mall. <laughs> oh, dear. All animals must figure out if it's worth hanging out together. And they go there to find out. On the upside, when otters are in groups, they like to chat in real time and exchange information, groom each other, build bonds, and they play. And they do this all at that special place where they go to do their business. Oh, dear. So there you go, Bob. I've got another oh. paragraph, but I can oh, see you're. I think that's enough. I think you're self-imploding already. On so. otters doing their business <laughs> and talking to their friends. Okay. Okay. I have a religious question. I think it's best to get to some place of another substance. <laughs> okay. This is a combination of two of my favorite things: religion and history. Okay. And, and me, I thought I was one of you. I mean, no, you're the first favorite thing, <laughs> yeah. but of the three, I'm talking about the other two. Good autocorrect. Okay. Okay. How did a religious movement delay construction of the Washington Monument for 26 years? A religious movement. A religious movement. The Washington Monument was it? Uh, uh, well, it was some kind of sacred ground for some kind of sect. Was it the? Uh, it must have been very early people. Was it Indians? No. It was. You could see that happening today. Yeah. You know, this was a sacred uh, hunting grounds or, or something like that. Uh-huh. But no. No, it was an anti-Catholic group. Catholic group. Yeah, huh? they took direct action to suspend the building of the monument in Washington, D.C. They were the Know Nothing Movement, and they were offended oh. by the Pope, Pope Pius IX's gift of a block of marble from Rome's Temple of Concord. The marble block, like blocks from many foreign nations, were to be used in building the tower. If you go there, they point out in the monument, you can see this stone was from France, this stone was from whatever. Well, these people were very upset. The group stole the block and threw it into the Potomac. <laughs> the suspension lasted 26 years until construction resumed in 1880. The monument was completed in 1888, but for 26 years because of this controversy about the Catholics and the stone and the Pope. Isn't that strange? It is very odd. Okay, so here's something I know you've been waiting for, hockey questions. Okay, we're in the winter season and hockey is here. Yes. 
<laughs> Mr. Sportsman. Mm-hmm. Today, Bob, we tend to think of hockey as a national game, as in the National Hockey League. Right. That's what they're called, NHL. So tell me, how many NHL players are from the United States? Uh, Give me the number. Give me the number. Percent. I think it's like 60% are from the United States. Oh, you are so wrong. What is it? It's 26.4%. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. We're born in the U.S. This is despite the fact that there are 25 NHL teams in the U.S. and only seven in Canada. Yeah, yeah. It's even, and it was uh, originally a Canadian league. Yeah. Oh, well, there goes another question. But <laughs> 43% of NHL players were born in Canada, and the other 30%? From other parts of the world. Yes. <laughs> if you can believe this, more NHL players were born in Sweden than Quebec. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? That's crazy. More in Sweden than in Quebec, Canada. Wow. That's a good one. Okay. What does the word national mean in the National Hockey League? Uh, It means North American, actually, doesn't it? No. What? It means Canada. Originally, it was a National Hockey League, meaning Canada. Canada. Yes, that's right. And what was the first U.S. hockey team? I think it was the Boston Bruins. Very good, Bob. Isn't it? Yeah. I don't give you credit no, enough you don't. for sports you questions. You really don't give me much credit. You accidentally read things sometimes and retain them about sports. Okay, Bob, what's the very oldest National Hockey League team? The one I remember is the Montreal Canadiens. You remember that? Yes. Okay, you're right. Absolutely. You have to remember, I spent like six formative years living in Michigan, just across the river from Canada. Oh. So hockey was a big deal up there. Okay. They're the oldest and the winningest. Mm. The Canadians have won the most titles. How many? As of 2021, 25. Wow. So they did well. All right, I have another religious question. This is kind of interesting. Why did the church at one time kill any followers who promoted a life of poverty? Christ taught his followers to give up all their worldly possessions, but the church once punished those who followed that doctrine. After 1226, when St. Francis died, his followers who tried to live a life of poverty were burned at the stake oh, good times. as heretics. Oh, my God. The church did not want to encourage poverty because it had become committed to supporting Europe's financial structure. The power structure of uh, Europe. That's why so many people don't want to know history. It's uh, it's uh, it's cognitive dissonance. It is. It is. <laughs> that's that really did happen. That's according to Isaac Asimov's book of facts. Oh, Isaac wouldn't lie. Okay, ready, Bob? Mm-hmm. Have you ever heard the expression "Your name is mud"? Mm-hmm. You know, it kind of means the person is disgraced or unpopular, or right? Out of favor. I know the answer. You're out of. You do. Yeah. Go ahead. It's Dr. Mudd. Yes. He was a surgeon who helped John Wilkes Booth, who came to him immediately after he was... Uh, after he did what? After he assassinated Abraham yeah, Lincoln. Yeah, but what, why did he... Well, he, had his, he hurt his leg. He broke his leg. Yeah, so Mudd helped set it. And then Mudd was later, he was rounded up, even though he just took care of somebody. He wasn't a part of the conspiracy. Yeah, they called him for a while a co-conspirator. Kind of ruined his life and his reputation. Now, here's a question, a follow-up question to that. <laughs> who was one of his... Wait, you can't do follow-up yes, questions I can. to my questions. Yes, I can. <laughs> who was one of his descendants who became a national newscaster? Roger Mudd. Roger Mudd really? of CBS. Oh, I said that as a joke. Yeah, he was he was related to him. Really? Yeah. Well, his name was Mudd. That's right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here's some new perspective. Okay. Okay. 
One of London's newest luxury apartment buildings originally served a far different purpose. What was it? The original, I, I don't know, a nuclear bomb site. Well, I'll give you a hint. <laughs> it has to do with Charles Dickens. Oh, was it going to be an orphanage? It was a workhouse. Yeah. The workhouse that inspired Oliver Twist. Wow. Will now be home to luxury condominiums. The Strand Union Workhouse, this was built in the 1770s. It's a place that inspired the scene where Oliver yeah. Twist says, Please, sir, can I have some more? Well, Ew. apparently the Strand actually had a rule prohibiting second helpings of food for paupers who were there. Yeah. So it was a very cruel so place. So this apartment building is where the Strand was? The building is the original workhouse that inspired Charles Dickens. Uh-huh. And the location of this workhouse had been lost to history, but some detective work by scholar Ruth Richardson identified it, and her work led to the building getting historic preservation status in oh, 2011. <laughs> And that led to the National Health Service, which had used it for an old hospital. They were trying to tear it down to make room for luxury condominiums, so they abandoned that, and they hired a developer. So now the workhouse itself is going to be luxury apartments. Somehow that doesn't seem quite right. It seems strange, doesn't it? Should be a food pantry or something useful. The building that was once home to a cruel, infamous institution will be home to affluent Londoners if they can afford the $1.3 million dollars starting price well, for the apartments. Well, there you go. Oliver Twist would have loved that twist on it's history. A twist. <laughs> and here's an irony that Charles Dickens would have liked. The first step in rehabbing the building was rather grisly. They had to remove remains from the on-site pauper's graveyard. Oh, my God in heaven. There were all grave right. pits, some with coffins stacked eight deep. Oh, so what, they had to remove all that. What dignity for them. Now, even though it's going to be called the Cleveland Court Apartments, some people may be calling them the Charles Dickens Luxury Apartments, <laughs> which is what the New York Times christened it with an article in December yeah. of 2021. I would call it Oliver's Luxury Apartments. <laughs> Oliver's Twist Yeah, apartments. Oliver, that is the twist. I would have a hard time staying there if no, I knew I, that's I, what happened. Yeah, I couldn't. I can stay in a luxury apartment, no problem. Okay. Think it's time for a break. All right, you're listening to the Off Ramp with Bob and Marshall Smith. We'll be back in just a moment. We're back. You're listening to the Off Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. Camels, Charles Dickens. <laughs> We're covering a lot of ground today. Okay, are you ready for this? Yeah. Recently, Sesame Street became a political football when anti-vaxer critics condemn Big Bird for endorsing COVID-19 vaccines. Oh, that's right, yes. Yes, but the show has been politically controversial from the start. What happened with the show and Mississippi in the early 1970s? I don't know what happened with the show in the think early 1970s. It. I'm trying to think about it. Oh, did it have something to do with a, a multiracial cast or something ah, like that? Good for you. A Mississippi State TV commission refused to air Sesame Street after it heard complaints about the show's racially integrated cast. Wow. Local commercial affiliates picked up the show and began running it. Eventually, the board reversed its vote. Oh, because the local affiliates said, we're going to run this yeah. show. It's a great yeah, show for j- kids. Just shut the hell up. <laughs> <laughs> right? This is, this is our show, eventually. Wow. Isn't That's that something? So it's always been a bit of a... A little bit controversial. Mm-hmm. Okay, you don't know these islands as the Danish West Indies. What islands were once called... The Danish West Indies, I'll give you four choices. Okay. The Falklands, the Galapagos Islands, the U.S. Virgin Islands, or the Bahamas. 
Which ones were known as the Danish West Indies? What was the first one? The Falklands. Mm, I'll say that. No. No. <laughs> no, it's the U.S. Virgin Islands. Oh, it is. St. Thomas, St. John, and St. Croix, they weren't always American territory. They were originally oh. home to indigenous peoples such as the Caribs and the uh, Arawaks, but they were later colonized by the Spanish and the French and eventually the Danes, and they gained full control of these yeah. islands in the 1700s, but eventually they wanted to sell them off. Yeah. That's how we bought those islands and they became U.S. territory. They were formally transferred from Denmark in 1917. Okay. $25 million in gold <laughs> coin. Okay. Yeah. Can I go? Yeah. All right. What popular electronic device, Bob, has fallen in price nearly 30% since December 2019. An electronic device? Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm going to say the Pelotons, you know, those, uh, yeah, you know, the those, bikes, yeah, the, yeah. the uh, exercise units. Yeah, that's good. That's good. But you're wrong. As of November 27, 2021, the cell phone has dropped 30% in price. Wow. In less than two years. Tell that to somebody who buys those $1,000 iPhones. Yeah, not, no, yeah, not wow. us, not us. So okay. overall, cell phones have dropped in price by 30%. Yeah. I, think th I think those have dropped also. In the past several years. Wow, yeah. that's amazing. Okay. All right, anything else? I got another question. Okay. Bob, hot pots are a big thing now, Bob. In fact, you used them when you went to, what, Hong Kong? Yes. Uh -huh. Hot pot, didn't you like it? Yeah, it was a hot pot dish. Yeah. Yeah, just everybody sits. And how sits, did it work? Well, a bunch of people sit around, kind of a, it was a horseshoe shaped or a, a round uh, table. And in the middle of it is a scalding cauldron of water. And you dip your food into that. Actually, you drop your food into that and fish it out later. Hot pot. It's a water-based stock. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, and it's a very big thing here in America now for, in, done in different ways. But can you tell me how hot pots got their start? No, I can't. Good. How? <laughs> this is from the Milwaukee Journal, and they wouldn't lie. The creation of the hot pot can be summed up in a few words. Necessity is the mother of invention. In the Three Kingdom period, the years A.D. 220 to 280, there were a lot of wars. Where? In China. Okay. People were always conquering each other. The soldiers wore copper helmets. Mm. And the soldiers used those helmets as their pots to cook the food in for themselves. Oh. And that's how it all started. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah, yeah, they just took their hats off and put their food in there and boil it, and that I'll was I'll be darned. That. So that was the beginning. Yeah. They must have been big hats. <laughs> <laughs> well, a helmet, you know, you just put that in there. Okay, what did Babylonians consider to be the wisest of all of their love customs? <laughs> the wisest of their love customs? Yes. Well, I have a few amusing thoughts about that, but I'll let those go. And I will say, I don't know, did they invent marriage? Well, it had to do with marriage. They would auction off marriageable girls every year, and men had to bid high for the most attractive girls. Yeah. That money provided dowries so the ugly girls that no one would bid for Aww. could find husbands. Really? Yeah. So it was some equanimity there. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to say it that way, yes. <laughs> I could barely say it. Oh, my goodness. Well, that must make you feel real proud if you're one of the girls to get the leftovers. Hey, at least you got married. Did you? To the ugly guys, no doubt. Okay. <laughs> okay, I've got a question. One more question. Sure. 
almost every country has national parks, right? We have a lot of them here in this country, and other countries have their own national parks. But what is the only country whose capital contains a national park? Really? I didn't know there was only one. Yes, I'll give you some uh, ideas here. Nairobi, Kenya, Seoul, South Korea, Washington, D.C., or Bangkok, Thailand? Seoul. No, it's not Seoul. What is it? Second guess. Uh, Not Thailand, because I know something about that. Not D.C., because that's Arlington, Okay, so that leaves Bangkok and Nairobi. So I'll say Bangkok. No, it's Nairobi. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Marsh. I'm helping you out here with clues. Oh, my gosh. I got three out of four wrong. Nairobi, Kenya. (laughs) It's the only world capital that contains its own national park. It's Nairobi National Park. It's also the oldest national park in Kenya. It's established in 1946. Although it's smaller than many other national parks, it is teeming with wildlife. You were right when you were thinking that might be. A wildlife rarely seen elsewhere. Zebras, black rhinoceroses, lions, and giraffes are in the Nairobi National Park in Nairobi, Kenya. I'll be danged. Okay, how are American calendars different from international standards? American calendars? Different from international? Is it that the week starts on Sunday? How did you know that? I know, I just thought that would be a different thing. I could see that be a different thing for people. No, the day starts on Monday. Yeah, and doesn't that make you crazy? How many times have you screwed up the calendar because you're thinking that's not Sunday, that is Monday on the calendar, and it's actually Sunday? You know, never for me. Really? For me, it's always Sunday is the first day of the week. Well, see, if you grow up in a religious home, (laughs) (laughs) my heathen family. Okay. All right. So according to Ask Marilyn, uh, American calendars are out of sync with Americans. Our calendars do not follow international standards, ISO standards, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, which start the week with Monday and end on Sunday. Our country's practice of starting the week on Sunday dates back to the Romans, who named the day starting with the Sunday and the moon Monday. Hmm. So that's okay. it. It's a Roman thing. and uh, That makes sense. And that's why our calendars aren't, don't look like everybody else's calendar. Well, how about that? And that bothers you still to this day. It bothers me when I screw up the dates when I'm planning something. Okay, I've got two. Let's just think to uh, the summer months, okay? Let's These are two facts I thought was kind of interesting. Uh Plants have a way of communicating with each other. The scent of freshly cut grass is equivalent to a cry for help. Oh, no. Isn't that awful? Says who? Well, this is uh, from Mental Floss. I've got the story if you want it. And then what is a lawn mullet? A lawn? A lawn mullet. Is that when you uh, your blades don't uh, cut evenly? No, it means having a neatly manicured front yard, but an unmowed mess in the back. Well, that's <laughs> A lawn mullet. All right, all right. Before I get to my quote of the to end the show, I have one quick question for you, Bob. Okay. Who was Winnie the Pooh named after? Winnie the Pooh. Uh, was A.A. A. Milne had something to do with it, of course, because he wrote Winnie the Pooh. That is correct. But wh- who was it named after? Uh, was it a teddy bear? No. Okay. It was a real bear, a famous black bear in the London Zoo. And his name was Winnie because he, that name, rather, was short for Winnipeg. 
Oh, no kidding. Yeah, in the London Zoo. So that's us. Uh, that's where A.A. A. Milne got the idea for, for it in the stories. He wrote for his young son, right? Yeah. Christopher Robin. Yeah. Okay, I have a couple of interesting facts here. Now, you tell me. You know, you always hear about people unfriending people on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Well, did I you notice like that I unfriended you? Did you notice that? No. I, <laughs> did you unfriend me, really? How far back does the term unfriend go? You'll be surprised at really? this. Yeah. Oh, I wouldn't have said long, but obviously I'm wrong. So I'll say 1859. So you think it goes back about 100 and, uh, okay, 150 yeah, okay. years. No. No. It goes back to 1659. <laughs> Can you believe that? I don't know what the context is, but in 1659, the term unfriend first appeared. So that goes back a long, long way. To social media in their day, apparently. I'll be done. Okay, need- and one more thing. Okay. What did the BBC do on Good Friday, 1930? Good Friday, 1930, the BBC did something, I assume, tongue-in-cheek, but it's funny. Uh, BBC Radio, 1930. It wasn't. That was before the, uh, what's-his-name's uh, scary radio show. Oh, yeah. Okay. Before Orson Welles. Yeah. Okay. Okay, on Good Friday in 1930, the BBC reported there is no news, and instead they played piano music. Really? During a newscast. That sounds like a April 1st kind of thing. It does sound like that. Not on but a Good Friday. But it was Good Friday. Friday. Yeah, well, that's interesting. Huh. And just for the record, Barbie's full name is Barbie <laughs> Millicent Roberts. Millicent. You know, you really learn things when you listen to the off-ramp. You learn a lot of stuff. I just wanted Winnie to make sure. Winnie the Pooh, Millicent, Barbie, yes. All right. It's a new year and a new day. And I'm going to finish with George Washington, not a guy quoted a lot like Abe Lincoln or anybody. He said, we should not look back unless it is to derive useful lessons from past errors and for the purpose of profiting by dearly bought experience. So keep your eye on the future. Well, yeah, and learn from your mistakes. Okay, I'm trying. I'm trying real hard. (laughs) (laughs) That's it as we start a whole new year here, and we hope you've enjoyed this first episode of The New Year. I'm Bob Smith. I'm Marcia Smith. Join us again next time when we return with more trivia on The The Off-Ramp. The Off-Ramp is produced in association with CPL Radio Online and the Cedarbrook Public Library, Cedarbrook, Wisconsin.